Welcome back to Bitcoin for Advisors. I'm your host, Morgan Richard. And with me, I have the assistant to the host, Pierre Richard. I think of myself as a co-host now. Yeah, you've been upgraded for, or promoted. Thank you. <laughs> you're not software, you're a person. That's right. That's right. Well, yeah. How come you got a promotion? I'm just curious. I gave myself one. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we have a quorum of two here, so you only need a one out of two signers to be promoted. <laughs> and if I'm editing the podcast, then I kind of get to choose who gets what. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, fine. Yeah, I'll start introducing you as the um, assistant to the host. I mean, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. The other host. <laughs> right. <laughs> The co-host. The co-host. We actually, uh, we were at Bitblock Boom last week, and it was pretty fun. We did a session together on uh, how to teach your spouse about Bitcoin. And uh, we got some good feedback, so hopefully people can go. Can people still go back and listen to that? Uh, yes, I believe there is a recording, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe we'll be able to broadcast it with this episode. I'll see if I can edit it in. Oh, okay. Um, with Gary's and- permission, of course. Of course. And I thought it was really interesting how many people after the talk were like, hey, that perfectly described my spouse and I. Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was really happy that, to hear that kind of feedback, too, because you never know what these things like it could be when you can hit or miss the mark on a talk like that. But no, there were definitely a lot of people who were thinking about how to have conversations about Bitcoin with their spouse. So that was good. Yeah, there's uh, there's kind of a cultural difference in Bitcoin between the people who are like young and single and think they're going to live forever and they can memorize their private keys. And then, you know, the people who are like married with kids who are thinking like, okay, how am I going to manage this between different individuals? Because we as individuals were like, well, you know, I don't trust anyone. I'm self-sovereign. I'm independent. (laughs) Uh, but as a family, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, totally. I was thinking too, with in regards to memorizing your seed, like I memorize things for kids all the time, like all the characters to Paw Patrol or all the characters to whatever show they're interested in. So you can just sort of do it that way. You can remember your seed phrase by pretending that they're all the characters to Paw Patrol that your kids want you to know. Yeah, that might not have enough randomness or entropy. So <laughs> somebody might be able to guess your private key by watching Paw Patrol. No, I mean, instead of, like, it being, you know, Chase and Marshall that you literally have, like, in your head, oh. you use the word, but you, like, imagine the dog. Okay. Well, it's like a mnemonic device. We'll have to... <laughs> Maybe that could be a BIP. Yeah, I should I should put that. And I could put the motivation in my BIP. Explain the problem. Explain the problem. Yeah. The problem is that I can't remember my seed phrase, but I can remember all 10 Cartoon dogs characters. to Paw Patrol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and this must be a very common problem i'm imagining so yeah yeah. i think i could write a pretty good motivation for that that you would be willing to read yeah but i just not i'm not sure about the solution (laughs) where you just imagine characters in your head and you apply the word to it yeah that's fair that's maybe i need to think that one through so my solution would be to write it down yeah okay that's probably better let's just write it down and maybe put it on steel Steel and then tell your spouse where you put it yeah. Yeah. Let's go there instead. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, Blip Block Boom was great. And uh definitely happy that Gary Leland has been organizing this conference for several years now. Yeah, I think it was his sixth year. Yeah. And uh you've been at almost all of them, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's our it's our 
premier Texas Bitcoin conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and so I highly recommend anyone who's looking to go next year, get your ticket. I think they're moving the location. Oh, are they? Where are they moving it? I th- I thought I heard somebody say back to Dallas. Oh, but okay. I don't okay. want to speak out of turn here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, wherever it is, I'll be there. Maybe if my schedule allows. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> I'll commit to maybe being there. Yeah. And sounds same like with, a Rochard answer. Well, I mean, it's like, and this is nothing on the conference itself. It's, you know, just in general, it's hard for me to think about, okay, where am I going to be in a year? Yeah, we'll probably be in this room doing a podcast. Yes. Or just other things. We've been accused of not doing them enough. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> so maybe probably not yeah, in this room we'll specifically. See. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, today we had a couple of topics that we wanted to go through. Um. I know our audience probably is curious about what drive chains are. Mm. And you're the expert. Since you read through the motivation so thoroughly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I, I, I actually think that the, uh, the ETF, uh, news is more important. Oh, okay. Um, why don't but, we do a really you know, since, quick five since minutes? Since you've decided that drive chains <laughs> is far more important. Um, no, basically the, the idea is that, um, they want to have a way of taking on-chain Bitcoin and then locking them up on the basically the equivalent of like a multi-sig except the multi-sig is bitcoin miners it's not just anyone right Mm -hmm. um and then kind of having a protocol around that so that uh the bitcoin miners in some form or fashion or the mining pools more realistically are uh maintaining side ledgers side chains uh, that have these Bitcoin that are being transferred in and out of the side chain using this you know, quasi multi-sig functionality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the key problem as an auditor <laughs> that this solution creates, <laughs> which <laughs> usually we try to go in the opposite direction, uh, but, um, you know, it, it, well, let's, let's roll back to, okay, what does this solve, right? This yeah. technical solution. Um, it solves that people want to do things that, um, they, it's, it, the programmability of Bitcoin's layer one doesn't allow them to do. I see. Currently. Um, and historically what people have done in that situation is either, not use a blockchain, so perhaps they would go use a SQL database. Mm-hmm. Um, or they say, hey, I do want to have a blockchain, so I'm going to launch Tron or Avalanche or Ethereum or you know any other kind of, hey, uh, we're going to create a new ledger. And um, I think there's some confusion about the difference between the ledger technology and the asset. So th- this confusion is is pervasive, and it's also very uh, understandable because we use the same words for both. We're like, hey, do you hold any Bitcoin? Okay, now we're talking about the asset. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, do you use Bitcoin? Mm. Well, now that's ambiguous. Are you talking about the asset or like the Bitcoin network of like, do I send and receive Bitcoin transactions? Yeah. Uh, and, and so... You know, the unit BTC is different than the Bitcoin protocol. 
Um, but obviously they intersect. They're they're orthogonal. They're not uh, completely unrelated. Otherwise, we'd, <laughs> we'd definitely use different words for them. Um, and so when people talk about, oh, hey, look how popular the asset ETH is and its price. Surely that has to do with something on the Ethereum network, some kind of functionality that is being provided that is causing people to hold more ETH. Um, and I actually don't think that's the case. I think that when people go onto an exchange website, not going to name any names, all they see are ticker symbols. Mm-hmm. And then they're they're going to read descriptions of the ticker symbols that are marketing narratives, right? Yes. And then they're going to buy the asset, and then they're just going to leave it at the exchange. They're not going onto the exchange thinking like, hey... Okay, today, and I'm I'm speaking of most people, like 99% of people mm-hmm. are not going on the exchange saying, hey, I need a Turing complete smart contract in order to solve this problem <laughs> I'm experiencing today. You know, my, my homeowner's insurance is too high. I'm going to go buy some ETH so that I can lock it up into an insurance contract on chain and get all this utility out of the asset. That I'm purchasing. It's like the smartest speculator we've ever created on this show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, that product doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> so, second of all, uh, nobody's using it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, the, the drive chain's idea is that, hey, if everybody um, is has to use BTC, the asset, on... Um, these side networks, uh, these side chains, then uh, it's going to increase the value of BTC and take value away from ETH, um, which I, I don't think that's reflective of kind of the trading psychology involved in these assets. Yeah, I mean, I, I still also notice even with my clients who are not, you know, Bitcoiners, like I have some of those and they just go on and they're like, well, it's only, you know, a penny or it's only worth $2. So if it goes up like Bitcoin did, you know, there's that kind of mentality. And I'm sure that if my incredibly smart, amazing clients are doing that, then there's a whole mass of people who are just going on there and are just like, ooh, that one. Yeah. And th- there's this fantasy of like efficient markets, right? Of like, oh, these retail investors, they're doing their due diligence. You know, they're really kicking the tires on these uh, investments that they're making. And so, um, you know, there's, there's signal there. And it reminds me of when I was growing up in France, um, occasionally at a friend's house, you'd, you'd find one of these machines called a Minitel. Okay. And the Minitel was basically this giant intranet that the French government tried to create (laughs) in France of, Hey, we're going to compete against the American, you know, TCP IP protocol and these internet maxis, and we're going to create our own side network called Minitel. Sounds like that Cinco Technologies thing you had me watch where you plug the CD in. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they, they built lots of applications on it. Um, well, you know, with Cinco Technologies, I think the problem with the Cinco product is that uh, all the data is on the CD-ROM. Yeah, you okay. don't interact with, with the other, wider network. Yeah. <laughs> There's okay, no this network. Is at least a little bit better. Yeah, it's um, 
But you are self-sovereign with mm-hmm. the CD-ROM. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, so if people don't know what I'm talking about, Google Synco uh, Technology Trial Software. And uh, basically, this software is designed to adjudicate criminal disputes and <laughs> determine whether you're guilty or innocent based on evidence that you provide to the software. <laughs> it's a really great concept. I think that wasn't the one I was thinking of. There was like oh. another one where you put the CD in and then you're on the internet on the CD. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. But that existed. That was funny too. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that existed. I remember uh, you'd have like basically the encyclopedia that had you know, hyperlinks within it that yeah. was like Wikipedia, mm-hmm. except... It was on a CD. It was on a CD, and people didn't get into extensive arguments over the content of Wikipedia. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Uh, not as fun. Um, okay, so where Sorry, was we I? we like really chains? went off yeah. the rails here. Sorry about that. No, all, all this to say that um, the... So my, my personal uh, problem with Drive Chains is that I actually, I disagree with like all of the narratives around it. And so the one in particular that I think people don't talk about enough is this narrative of ossification, which is that we want to get to a place where we no longer need to change Bitcoin's code. We don't need to add anything to the base layer because anything good will just be added to a sidechain. And what that means to me as a base layer user is somebody telling me, hey, you're not going to get any new features. If you want anything new, you'll have to use this sidechain. And when you use a sidechain, what you have to do is convert your BTC into the sidechain token by doing the multi-sig, right? Now, in principle, you know, they say, oh, you'll get credited on the sidechain with BTC equivalent, right, that you can then take out of the sidechain at any time. Um but you would have to audit that side ledger. And so as an auditor, I'm back to square one of, okay, so now I I still have to audit everything. Mm -hmm. So why didn't you guys just build this feature into the base layer so that we didn't have to have this Rube Goldberg contraption of me having to audit two ledgers? You know, like I'd liken it to, if you're running uh, the accounting department for a company and... Uh, somebody comes to you and says, oh, you know, I, I, I'd like to uh, expense a lunch meal. And you're like, well, our ledger doesn't have that feature. So we're going to spin up a new legal entity. It's going to be L- Lunch Meal Incorporated. And <laughs> we'll have a side ledger for lunch meals. And we'll do intercompany transactions. To- and I'm just like, I just want to buy lunch. Like, can you... Yeah, yeah, can we do well, this in the regular ledger? And stuff? Yeah, yeah, can we just add this feature? Well, I'm just wondering if the feature is so great, why it wouldn't be just done on chain? Bingo. Yeah. And 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 the truth is, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the other point that you made about um, the what hap- what's going to happen to the miners uh, and how like basically this work is going to be foisted on them on what side chains they have to manage and so forth. Because that, I think, is really... I mean, yeah. other than the fact that this is moronic and nonsensical, it then does create all this work for miners that they otherwise wouldn't have to do. That's right. The drive chains concept gets worse the more we dig into it. Because... Who spins up these sidechains 
who decides what chains exist mm-hmm. uh, is decided by the miners. Um, and so it is permissioned, right? You have to get permission from these gatekeepers. Um, and this reminds me so much of when I was at Kraken, uh, a big project that everyone was super hyped about. They were really excited about it. They made it the number one company priority, and that was Polkadot. Um, what did they call it? Parachains. Parachains. Thank you. I can't believe I remember that. I know. They could have called it polka dot side chains, but but yeah, parachains gives it a much heftier ring to it. I it, I think it's it's like pervasive in this industry of having to constantly rebrand things. So mm-hmm. like at first it was altcoins, and then they were like, no, that doesn't sound great. Let's do cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. and then they're like, let's just shorten it to cryptos, and then they're like, no, let's call it digital assets. Yeah, digital assets. And they're like, no, no. It's Web3 technology. <laughs> it's like, okay, so sidechains became drive chains, became parachains. And you know what's really funny now? Um, the the Polkadot people are saying, oh, uh, parachains are not working. And the reason why they're not working is because of the friction involved in the governance of standing up these chains and tearing them down, um, which is exactly you know what miners would be responsible for. And so they've decided to start uh, a new concept called uh, paracores. And so you have, instead of, yeah, <laughs> I know. You I can't know. see my face, so I should probably it's, have a reaction on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, just, just laugh into the mic, will you? <laughs> uh, let it all out. Don't hold back your laughter, folks. This is, But, you know, these are serious people. <laughs> Oh, sure. Yeah. Sociologically, what I found at Kraken is that the people who are interested in polka dot parachains, they like the um, they like the learning curve. To them, they see it as like information asymmetry that they're going to be able to profit off of. I see. And and so it's kind of for for somebody who like is not looking for a f- information asymmetry in order to profit off of. It all just looks like gimmicks and like weird, you know, things that don't solve any problems. But <laughs> for these people, it is solving a problem, which is the problem they have is that they want to trade tokens. But if markets are perfectly efficient and all the information is out there, they need increasing levels of complexity in order to have alpha in their trading. Yeah, I see that. They want to be called the Warren Buffett of crypto altcoin web3 digital assets i maybe but i think warren buffett keeps things too simple yeah, yeah you're they right. want to be like the derivatives trader you know I who's see. like okay. they want to be the john merriweather yes yeah they blow up four times and then to keep getting capital <laughs> uh that's exactly right mom i need more more money no nuggets mom yeah <laughs> i'm trading here yeah i'm trading Trading my polka dot parachains. <laughs> I need another hundred bucks. They shut down one of my parachains. Hundred X leverage. <laughs> um, yeah. So these paracores <laughs> are gonna make it so that you don't have to like constantly be creating new chains. <laughs> Instead, you can rent time on particular chains. And then I'm like, okay, you've you've reinvented Amazon Web Services. <laughs> In the most convoluted, expensive manner possible that doesn't solve any problems mm. other than speculative token trading. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and and so I brought this up and somebody replied with, have you not heard of Energy Web Token? Oh, no. And I said, I well, I, I have heard of Energy <laughs> Web Token. 
that's an asset that Kraken listed. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, the, this, the problem Energy Web Token solves is how do we issue a token? It's not <laughs> how do we create abundant energy in the world, right? Uh, you know, you, you build a natural gas power plant for that. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's too difficult. You gotta. Yeah, it's, it's Dentacoin yeah. for energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dentacoin is still my favorite, I gotta be honest. That's because you're a dentist's daughter. Yeah, I am a dentist's daughter. I remember reading that just thinking, this is so dumb. How can everyone at the same time get paid for their dental work? But but did you, you know, pump and dump it? No, of course not. Oh. But I did re- I did tell my dad about it, and he had a good laugh in fairness. Yeah. yeah. And so it was a good uh, daughter-dad bonding time. <sighs> that's, that's really heartwarming. I like that story a lot. <laughs> so thank you to whoever wrote that white paper. Yeah, and I think, you know, these are great, like, sources of entertainment, as long as they're far away from kind of, like, the serious stuff of, like, our money, you know? Yeah, well, I think that that's what's so, um, I guess, enraging or uh, irritating about drive chains is that because it's happening on Bitcoin and it's something theoretically that miners have to now maintain, it hits a little closer to home than just a bunch of, you know, people creating random coins, doing random things that we don't really need to worry about at all because they have nothing to do with Bitcoin. Yeah, and then six months later, the miners are like, okay, we're, we're tired of dealing with this nonsense, which, by the way, I mean, I think anybody involved in the Polkadot parachain ecosystem <laughs> probably got there, uh, you know, within six months, and so that's why they're pivoting to paracords. But, um, you know, then they have to clean it up, right? Which is that they have to unwind uh, this drive chain soft fork and, um, you know, get all the money out and back into the hands of people who, you know, were trying to do this silly nonsense um it also i mean it has so many economic flaws uh sometimes i'm not sure if the flaws are due to the poor explanations from the proponents of drive chains or uh if like it's just not fully specked out on their part for example they say oh drive chains are good because now uh tokens have to be fully backed by bitcoin which you know if if apple's market cap is what three trillion dollars somewhere around there yeah how are you gonna back how where are you gonna get three trillion dollars worth of bitcoin you're gonna print it out of thin air like it doesn't even exist, doesn't exist. bitcoin's yeah. market cap is 400 billion dollars bitcoin goes up in price i don't know how you do it you can't do it and, and then there's the question of like okay on top of the capital inefficiency like if i'm an issuer of a token uh presumably i want to raise bitcoin Right, just like Vitalik did, he said, "Hey, send me your Bitcoin. I'll send you ETH." Mm. And then Vitalik goes and spends the Bitcoin. Yeah, Vitalik doesn't just leave the Bitcoin sitting in a pot, saying, "Hey, this is backing all the ETH that I've issued." Yes, that would completely yeah. defeat the purpose of having <laughs> gotten the Bitcoin, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and even for something like an example of like people would be like, "Oh, you know, we'll use." We'll use um, drive chains in order to have like membership cards for clubs, which I don't know. I, okay, I can't anymore with these. They well, look, this is a huge problem facing humanity, right? Yeah. Like, isn't that what NFTs were supposed to be? Like, yeah, collectibles or. Now, the smart thing about NFTs is that they're not backed by anything. Oh, there we go. Okay. So they're very efficient. Mm-hmm. Whereas this would say, hey, when you issue your $100,000 board ape, you have to lock up $100,000 worth of Bitcoin. <laughs> I don't know. And then, and then, and then the, they, and then they say, 
Well, this is good because it means that people will issue less, will issue less. And I think to myself, like, yeah, they'll issue less on, on drive one, chains, yeah. but they'll issue an abundance mm-hmm. on every other system where they they can efficiently do it without tying up BTC. Yeah, this just seems like a waste of a bit, I have to be honest. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... But, you know, Paul's worked very hard on it, so... Well, yeah, and for a very long time. I mean, it's been almost a decade of him (laughs) trying to get this idea through. And I think that, you know, his only hope is really that he's he's able to persuade Bitcoin miners, the mining pools, to signal for this and to get it activated, Um, which I think, you know, is a criticism of soft forks is that you can have malicious soft forks kind of try to sneak in. Whereas you can't really have malicious hard forks sneak in, as we saw in 2017. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I think that um, it just depends on how many people at Bitcoin mining pools are actually you know, thinking this through, or are they just going to rubber stamp it because they don't care, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's understandable to not care about this kind of stuff. Uh, it's just going to catch up to them very quickly, which is then there. So it starts with Paul Stork giving you a phone call saying, hey, you know, activate drive chains, you know, do the community a solid favor. You know, this is good for Bitcoin. And then the miner mining pool is like, oh, OK, yeah, well, you know, let's let's activate this. And then the phone starts ringing of, hey, we've got a side chain. <laughs> we need you to activate <laughs> And then it's just endless, you endless know, calls lobbying of, hey, can you guys activate this, activate that, uh, and offer, you know, hey, we need to issue uh, SHIB tokens, a, a trillion SHIB tokens. <laughs> can you activate it? <laughs> I, I just think that if you have an awesome technology, as you were saying, like if you have a great technology that makes sense, then you should try to get it into the Bitcoin base layer because it has happened, right? We got Taproot. A couple mm-hmm. years ago, we had SegWit, we had Check Sequence Verify, Check Lock Time Verify. You know, these technologies that people like, uh, we might get Covenants soon or OpVault. You know, so th- if, if you have good technology, I'm opposed to ossification because I want the Bitcoin base layer to have the best set of features because it's open source, right? And so you ultimately, it, it's funny because it doesn't matter the people who want ossification it doesn't matter what they want because it is open source. So they can't stop us from changing the source code. Yeah. You know, there's no like permissioning there. I'm curious though, what happens if let's say it sounds like Riot's not on board, obviously. And so I don't speak for the company. Okay. I'm just speaking for myself here. It sounds like yeah. Piro Shard's not on board. Right. So, you know, with Pierre's little mining rig that's in our trunk, that's not connected to anything. And my podcast, <laughs> yeah. I have three podcasts. Okay. Oh, three that means co- that. Yeah. I'm highly influential. Here, and you're highly influential in influencing other people's opinions about this. So imagine like a large miner doesn't want to do drive chains, but it makes it through anyways. Does that miner now have to do drive chains or can that miner opt out? Well, it has to do with the mining pool because the mining pool is ultimately constructing the blocks. I see. And I think that, you know, this has been brought up as well of, hey, we need to change how the mining software functions, the mining protocol called Stratum, to Stratum version 2, so that all of this gets more decentralized than just the mining pools. Um, Now, I don't 
so what what you end up with in these kind of like governance token type things is that most people don't want to vote because it's just not you know Mm -hmm. it's just not relevant to their business yeah and so they don't vote right and um and so you have to assume that there's going to be a certain percentage quorum that's going to be able to activate things um otherwise you have to change your activation method but it'll be interesting to see i think that uh, maybe the silver lining for drive chains is that it'll accelerate adoption of increasingly decentralized mining software so that we can uh, try to decrease the risk of malicious softworks like this. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I, I would imagine what would happen is that if a miner didn't want to be involved, they would just go to a different mining pool that was not involved or they would create their own mining pool. I, I don't think it would register. Again, they just don't care. And yeah. so it's like, well... Uh, it, it's not the most important factor I use when evaluating mining pools. In fact, it's not a factor. And that's kind of the central critique of it. It's like, hey, if if people don't care about this, you can activate it, but then you can't force people to use it afterwards. And now you just have useless code and useless governance processes that are occurring that could get exploited by bad actors um, especially, you know, uh, when, when, when we look at the regulatory interest there is in Bitcoin miners. Hmm. So today, the, the sole function of Bitcoin miners is to act as a witness, right? That you're testifying that you saw this transaction on this date. Yep. If you start saying, hey, actually, Bitcoin miners um, need to decide on governance matters for Bitcoin. Well, now you're adding a responsibility that can come with legal implications yeah, in the real world, I see what right? You're mm-hmm. uh, whereas um, free speech and and testimony, those are pretty uncontroversial activities from a legal perspective. But once you get into t- topics of, you know, hey, are you going to activate this sidechain or not? We raised lots of money. Uh, we promised our investors we would activate this. You know, mm-hmm. then they start litigating of suing miners for not activating their little thing. It's like, okay, now you guys are just creating a big headache for everyone. Okay, well, I hope Paul Stork listens to our uh, commentary on drive chains, side chains, parachains. I've listened to him on podcasts. You know, I'm always interested in being open minded, learning from others. And, you know, uh, that's, I think, a key part of just being a good researcher in this space. Mm -hmm. And uh, every time I've heard him on podcasts, I've left, you know, uh, from it thinking, wow, this person understands, you know, 70% of the game theory and the economics, but the 30% that they don't understand is the 30% that completely destroys their argument. And so that's where it's like, okay, well, I don't think this is, this is a good idea. Okay. You want to add anything there or did you want to move on to ETFs? Uh, Let's move on to the ETF side chains. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's funny because it's, it's It's uh, another side chain somewhat. Yeah. Somewhat related. Kind of related. Another permissioned side chain that you have to get people to agree to activate. Get the government involved to activate here. So we can all be in the ETF side chain where we get uh, not quite Bitcoin, but. Well, I think it starts off with like, do you want to give a background of like what GBTC is? 
Yeah, that's a great idea. So GBTC was um, created back in 2014, I want to say, or 2013, maybe even. It was early. Um, It was at least nine years ago. And because it was so hard at the time, there were applications involved with the SEC to get an ETF approved. But the the SEC was dragging their feet on it. And obviously, I mean, 10 years later, we still don't have one. So what... um, I guess it was Barry Silbert. Was it Second Market at the time that mm-hmm. issued it? Yeah. So Second Market at the time decided that they were going to skirt the rules by creating a private placement. Private placements are basically, um, they are investments that accredited investors are allowed to invest in uh, only. And so that means that basically you have to have, and they've changed it quite a bit. Um, they always change the income limits, but I think you have to make over, like consistently make over $500,000 a year um, for the last three years, or you have to have a net worth of above 1.2 million, it might be, uh, but they keep changing it. So don't hold me to those numbers. Um, and so that would, cr- that would make you an accredited investor. You have to attest to the fact that you are an accredited investor. And then you, Theoretically, the company is also supposed to check to make sure that you're an accredited investor because they have a limit on how many non-accredited investors can go into these things. Otherwise, they have to actually register with the SEC their product. And the the reason why they have this is because they assume that if you make a lot of money or have a high net worth, that you know more than the average person. And they're trying to protect the retail investor no from being involved in scams and that you know an accredited investor would be able to discern the difference between what is and is not a scam. And therefore, they would be able to take more risk and be more comfortable investing in something like this. So that's how um, the private placement was basically created, whereby people can go and buy Bitcoin at net asset value. Basically, you would go through their company as a um, and through the private placement and buy it from there. What ended up happening, though, after that was that they were able to issue um, their their private placement on the pink sheets. So they weren't able to create an ETF, but they were able to create basically a closed end fund around the private placement, whereby it could actually trade on the secondary market um, on the pink sheets, but not on any of the main exchanges. And so that's how GBTC started floating. Um, At the time, it was really difficult for people to go and buy Bitcoin and in a lot of places and people wanted to be able to use their IRAs and their brokerage accounts. They didn't want to have to go open up an account at a place like Coinbase. And so they were buying GBTC and it was causing the price to go above net asset value. Um, And so it was trading basically this vehicle started trading at a premium because of the that the few options that were available at the time for people to go buy Bitcoin. Obviously, that has changed over the last 10 years. Um, but the thing to note about this was because that was happening in the market, investors started getting in at net asset value, and they had a holding period of six months to a year. And from there, they were basically arbitraging this um, where they would buy it at net asset value and then be able to sell it at a premium. And so I forget the company was at three arrows that was doing that yeah yeah where they were they were basically leveraging up to take advantage of the um of the premium and the premium for a while was trading anywhere between you know 10 percent above where bitcoin was all the way up to 30 percent, i think at one time so um people were making quite a bit of money by going in at a net, net asset value and then being able to sell at a premium um this unwound in 2021 during the bear market basically when the price started to come down um, and it started to trade at a discount. So the thing to note about private placements that trade as closed-end vehicles is that they actually do tend to persist um, at a discount to net asset value. And this is because they're not as marketable as the real thing. And so it's like if you bought Apple stock, because we've been 
talking about Apple. If you bought Apple stock just on the market, right, you're going to get Apple at the price at which it's trading on the exchange. Whereas if you buy Apple wrapped in a private placement, um, that's now trading on the secondary market, it's less marketable, and therefore it would be trading at a discount. So somebody who wants to buy this closed end fund that holds Apple, maybe in their head, they're saying, well, it holds Apple. And at some point, it's going to go back to net asset value, because why wouldn't it? But the reason why these things tend to persist at discounts is because they are just less marketable, it is easier to just go and buy the actual asset. So that's sort of a, I think, a good background on what GBTC is and how it ended up in the situation that it's in. Yeah, and and so now they're trying to convert it into something different. Yeah, so they're trying to convert it into an ETF, and they have been trying to do this for a while um, because they sent out documentation um, asking GBTC holders to write to their to write basically write to the SEC about why it would be a good idea for them to be able to convert this to an ETF. The thing is, is that with the private placement, it's also there are differences in taxation, right? So like every time um, the fund actually sells Bitcoin to pay their fee, that sale gets passed through to the investors. So it's a little bit different than let's say a closed on fund that holds Apple and a bunch of other things that pay dividends. Usually what they do is they take the dividends and they pay themselves through those dividends. But because Bitcoin doesn't throw off a cash flow, which is something that Bitcoin's critics often use to say Bitcoin has no value. Um, but because <laughs> Bitcoin doesn't throw off any kind of dividend or cash flow, right, they actually have to sell Bitcoin in order to maintain their 2% fee and they pass this through to investors and it's actually a taxable event. Um, and so that's just one of the many differences between, let's say, a uh, uh, private placement trading as a closed end fund versus an ETF. And so um, it would be beneficial to investors for it to trade as an ETF. I mean, the same thing also is that the discount is there because it's a closed end fund and not an ETF. Um, And so that would also that would solve that problem for them. Um, because they would basically just issue and redeem shares that made it remain at net asset value rather than it just being this fund that has a certain amount of shares and so forth. And then it has a floating price within there. So, um, yeah, so they're petitioning basically to convert it. And it seems to me that like the SEC does not want to do this because they just don't like Bitcoin and they don't like, you know, the crypto industry mm-hmm. and they just want to stop. I mean, I think in the SEC's world, they would have some way of banning Bitcoin. But (laughs) since they can't, they just don't want any good products to be around that. And they they have in their minds of like, oh, the way we protect the traditional financial system is by keeping this stuff out of it. Yeah. But it's the, the their problem is that ultimately they are not the ones who decide if Bitcoin is good or bad, mm-hmm. uh, it, and you know they, their mandate, their statutes that they're relying on for their authority were written in the early 20th century, and so it's not like you know the SEC Act says, uh, "Hey, you'll regulate Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies," um, but they just due to the fact that they have this level of discretion as an agency, they've just been able to not just deny the GPTC conversion, Mm -hmm. also deny proposed ETFs from highly reputable Wall Street firms for years now. Yeah, for sure. I think also, I mean, they they always say that they're trying to protect investors and keep this stuff out of the markets. But I mean, what inevitably happens, right, is something like GBTC gets created, or people are, you know, they're 
they're going to find ways to trade all sorts of cryptos somewhere else, right? If they want to gamble or um, horse betting is popular, you know, like if they're not able to do whatever it is that they want to do in traditional financial markets, they find another way to do it. And so it's not like it prevents people from gambling. People can races. Yeah. (laughs) People can only be prevented from gambling by, you know, prayer, therapy, the whole thing. So um turning what away from the material like, world dice games you know yeah I, dice games <laughs> <laughs> poker dens yeah got to crack down on that mm-hmm. um well so the the other bizarre thing though is that the sec has approved etfs that use futures yeah that i mean first of all the, it really honestly gets me because so even though that the futures ETF has actually done a relatively good job of managing the risk associated with rolling futures, people have no idea what they're buying. They think that they're buying a Bitcoin ETF. But what they're not is they're they're not they're buying the derivative on Bitcoin. And derivatives have um, they have contracts that have dates on them. So it's not like when you go and buy something like that, you're not buying Bitcoin and just putting it in a vehicle, you're buying something that has to be rolled. So for instance, let's say you bought uh, if you were actually in the futures market, what you would be buying is, let's say, the October 2023 contract um, of of Bitcoin, and you would buy it at a specific strike price. So let's say you were buying the 30,000 you know, strike price of it. So what it means is basically that if you bought a call option of that, you would be in the money above 30,000 and you would be out of the money under 30,000. If you're out of the money, that contract is worthless. So if these contracts end up being worthless, what happens is that they roll them to keep the the vehicle together. And so they have something called roll yield. Um, Roll yield is usually negative. um, Because basically what they do is they buy contracts in one month, the closer month usually, and they sell contracts in future months. And sometimes they make a spread on that. But depending on what the what the underlying does depends on whether or not that roll yield is positive or negative. But the farther out that you go on the curve, the more expensive that um, that call option is going to be because it has a time factor associated in this. And so the average investor obviously doesn't understand the dynamics of the derivatives market to the point where they would be able to understand exactly what they're buying and what all the differences in these contracts are. There's also like a contango and a backwardation that happens in these markets. There's uh, there's the, the volatility itself that's priced into the contracts. There's just many different, they call them the Greeks actually, of all the different factors um, that are associated with what is the actual price of that contract related to the underlying. And so um, the fact that Gary Gensler thinks that this is appropriate for the average investor to be able to ration, like rationalize through what is going on in a derivatives Bitcoin ETF versus just a spot Bitcoin ETF. And that's a way to protect investors is just totally insane to me. Yeah. And, you know, you're not alone because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Yesterday, we got the news that uh, the judiciary branch agrees with you. Uh, and uh, three of the nation's top judges, not the Supreme Court, but the circuit court, which is like one step removed from the, from the Supreme Court, you know, they compared, hey, the, the spot versus the futures. And basically, the conclusion was like, okay. Either the SEC should go back on its decision on the futures ETFs and deny those, mm-hmm. or they should approve the 12 spot ETFs that, you know, are super simple and great for investors. Uh, and, um, you know, so I think that a high level now, though, is that GBTC 
their denial is now removed. Mm -hmm. And so they're back into the queue with the other applications. Yeah. And the SEC is in the hot seat because Gary can appeal this decision to the Supreme Court. And this Supreme Court with these judges, I mean, you don't want to be in front of them if you're an agency (laughs) because they could just look at this and be like, uh, you know, the SEC shouldn't exist. You know, they they they, they, they could really uh, it, it, you're you're opening up Pandora's box in terms of what the Supreme Court could rule, um, because right now there's a major challenge to what's called the administrative state, which is all these agencies that have been created by statute that then evolve beyond the statutes that have been written. And now the Supreme Court's coming back and saying, Hey, look, you guys were authorized to do this, but now you're also doing that, Mm -hmm. and you're no longer allowed to do that. Um, And this could be an interesting case for for them. What I like the most, though, about... um, And kudos to Barry Silbert and Grayscale for litigating this, because... Others might just roll over and be like, you know, oh, well, whatever the government says, you know. Uh, I think also Barry has a huge stake in becoming an ETF because basically if another ETF gets approved and theirs doesn't, then there's going to be massive outflows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially now that people have well, a lot a of losses. Well, it's a bit of a hotel California, yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, I can see what you're saying. I could see... Well, it also... I mean, the SEC then has a lot of power, right? Because the other thing to consider is that the first ETF that gets approved is going to get an influx of investors immediately. So even if it's like one gets approved one day and then the next day a new one gets approved, the fir- the one whoever whoever's there on the first day is going to get more assets just by the fact that people can allocate it. You know what I bet the SEC will do? Mm-mm. They'll approve the least popular, the worst proposal first. Okay. And then second, they'll approve BlackRock. Yeah. And so none of the money will go into the first, right? Because, but all the money will go into BlackRock. And then people will say, oh, but you approved, you approved, approved BlackRock first. And then they'll say, no, no, we approved this random yeah. <laughs> thing first. Uh, you know, people just like BlackRock better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then they left all the other. Yeah. You know, and then they wait like yeah. 12 months for all the other ones. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I I think it's great that that they so that they won, but also that all of these lawyers and judges are having to learn about Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that that is tremendously valuable because look, there's this court case and I think this is the court case that has gone the furthest in terms of um hey, it's Bitcoin related and it's gotten to, a, you know, a circuit uh, that has, you know, ruled on it. Um, but if we look at the next 50 years, there's going to be case after case of Bitcoin and the administrative state. Because ultimately, um, yes, the politician, some politicians, some parts of the government see Bitcoin as a threat. Mm-hmm. But they don't have the votes to actually pass any laws against it explicitly. Yeah. And so what they have to do is find angles of, hey, let's drag our feet on approving an ETF. Or, hey, let's extend AMLKYC beyond just what is in the statutes and let's go, you know, do some some things to Bitcoin. Um, but the judiciary ultimately is our last line of defense. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if the judiciary signs off on something, then, you know, it's basically game over until they get replaced. Um, now, something that's really interesting is on the AMLKYC side, you have this Bank Secrecy Act. And that Bank Secrecy Act has gone before the Supreme Court before. And they invented this notion of, oh, well, if you're using a bank, you don't have an expectation of privacy. And the prohibition against searches doesn't apply to you because you're using a third party, um, which is something invented because that's not what the Constitution says. Uh, and and so I, th- I could see that if if they decided to like push on KYC AML and it got to the Supreme Court, that this Supreme Court would say, hey, look, this idea of the they call it the third party doctrine, mm-hmm. which is, you know, great because Bitcoin's like anti trusted third parties, but they would possibly get rid of the third party doctrine and say, hey, look, the Bank Secrecy Act is unconstitutional, mm-hmm. which it is. Yeah. Um, and so that that would be an amazing moment. That would be an amazing moment. Yeah. But now I'm, I'm kind of dreaming. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you're super optimistic. I I'm, like that about you. Well, I'm super optimistic, but, you know, yesterday gives us uh, hope that uh, not all three branches of government are, you know, going to cause problems. I think really right now, the only branch of government that is causing problems is the executive branch. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be this way. You know, Joe Biden, I think on 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 the topic of Bitcoin, he's just chosen the wrong advisors. I don't think that he has thought this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. he doesn't have an opinion. He's just delegated his opinion to the rock people. And that's something that could change very quickly. He's just got to fire someone and hire the right person. Me. He's delegated his opinion to a lot of people, though. I'm not really sure he totally has an opinion on things anymore. Uh, <laughs> when I'm at that age, yeah. <laughs> I hope to be surrounded by people I can delegate opinions to. Yeah. Tr- you know, trustworthy people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. We'll find you the right people. And well, I'm older than you, so I <laughs> you'll you'll be right there I will with me. Theoretically, need those people before you uh, will. in our old people home. Yeah, when we're president. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I plan house. to run for president when I'm 82 years old. You know, when I'm mm. really at my prime and the white hair house. Yeah, the white hair. House. <laughs> so, well, at that point, you know. You'll be retired. You'll have time for activities That's like right. being president. Yeah, I will finally have the time to run the country. So, you <laughs> yeah. know, right now I can barely, you know, find the time to put a dump truck patch on my kid's backpack. Well, yeah, your your kids <laughs> will be, yeah, really successful kids. You know, just like Joe Biden's kid. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Oh gosh. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll stop. The podcast <laughs> gonna, yeah, here. we're gonna end it here. Yeah. Um. All right. Record well. scratch. <laughs> it was great and uh we hope to do this again next month um if you like the show leave us a review um if you want to have a topic be heard from just send us a note on the bird app or x or whatever we're calling it these days or noster and um the x app it sounds like it doesn't exist anymore yeah yeah the the formal the former twitter and uh i'm morgan with an e rochard pierre is bitcoin pierre uh we have impersonators those are the only two handles that we use and um yeah see you around see you around thanks all